Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8. Boy, y'all got excited after that last song. I, I, I like that. That's good stuff. I hear some people say, well, I, I just don't know the music. I don't know how to sing out when I don't know the music. Uh, let me, uh, 106.9, I, that's where most of the time my dial on my radio is. 106.9 plays about all the music we sing on Sunday morning. So some of that music you may not be used to, uh, just turn over to 106.9, Billy Graham's uh, network or whatever they call it, radio signal or whatever, and uh, listen in and I think you'll come become very familiar and you can sing out and uh, we'd love for you to do that and I do appreciate your excitement this morning. Well, we're going to continue Royal invitation, royal invitation this morning. We're a verse by verse study through the book of Romans. Now, here's, I'm going to do something a little different this morning. If you'll go ahead and look at the conclusion, I want to show you where we're going to wind up this morning, okay? So go ahead and look at the conclusion on your outline. Our spiritual position in Christ Jesus, what does it look like? Well, it's living under grace, okay? So once we come to know Christ, we're living under grace. That is the reality in which we live. So if we are the believer, that means we're living above sin. We saw that several weeks ago. We're living above the law. We're, we saw that even a couple weeks ago. And then last week, we saw living above the flesh. And today, what I want to introduce to you is probably one of the most exciting parts of where we are in Christ, living above condemnation. Now, let me just say this. The question this morning for you is this. Are you living in the reality which I showed you here uh, just then? Because if you're not, you're totally missing out on all that God has for you. I, I'm convinced that most Christians, if you were to really talk to them and get down to the bare bones about where they're living and what their life looks like, they're not living what I just said. They're living under something they shouldn't be living under. They're living under the demands of the law, and all they feel is condemnation and failure and defeat and all that. Listen, we're called to live just under grace. We're called to live under grace and above those other things, especially as it relates to condemnation. So now, look at the introduction. Romans 8 is the answer to the question Paul asked in, in Romans 7, 24. You remember last week? He cried out, who will deliver me from this body of death? He, he, he just, it's like his back against, is against the wall. And he's like, where, where does it all come from? How, how do I get beyond this? It's like Paul was saying, I feel so guilty, so condemned at times. Many Christians still choose to live under a cloud of condemnation when Christ has provided them a life above it. So before we get started, let's define condemnation. This is not on your outline, but condemnation means to declare a person guilty and worthy of punishment. Condemnation comes from the whole idea of sin and the law. As we've already seen, when we come to Christ, we are dead to both sin and the law. Now, this death comes about through Jesus Christ. And so if we are to die to those things, if we are to be dead to the law, dead to sin, what does it look like? What do we associate with to get us there? That's our reality. We identify with the death of Christ. You remember Galatians 2.20? We looked at it last week. I'm crucified with Christ. So if we are to live above condemnation, let's look and see what the whole idea of condemnation is all about. So first of all, in your outline, we see the emotions of condemnation. If you were to look at verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation. 
He's talking about what happened at the end of Romans chapter 7, where he was talking about the victory coming through Christ Jesus. And he's beginning to build upon that. So we go from uh, Romans chapter 6 and 7, and he talks about all these things that we are to live above. And then he gets to condemnation. He says, and guess what? We're to live above it also. And the only way we're able to live above it is because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. So he says, there is therefore now, because of that, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but now according to the Spirit. You remember last week, we talked about what it meant to live above the flesh, and, and Paul was talking about there's those things that I, I do that I wish I didn't do, the things I need to do that I don't do sometimes, and he was totally frustrated with his own life and the reality of where he lived at times, and I think we all agree with that, and he is looking to that day where the full reality of what Christ has done on our behalf is when we're separated from this body of flesh. But then he says, in the meantime, we need to understand something. We're not living under condemnation. He's saying condemnation is no longer a part of where we are. We shouldn't be even feeling that because that's not our reality. So look on your outline. Condemnation is best described by the feelings associated with it. Most of us, may, while we may not be able to, ident, uh, to define condemnation or con, uh, condemnation, we can at least know what the feelings are. Look on your outline. Guilt. Anybody been, everybody felt, anyone felt guilt before? Uh, how about the second one? Fear. Shame. Self-rejection. All these things, I believe, culminate the feelings of condemnation. And y'all, we don't need to live in that reality. Listen, the unbeliever, let me just say this, those who have never accepted the provision of Jesus Christ through what God's plan of what Christ offers, those who are unbelievers, yes, they should feel every one of those emotions because guess what? I hate to say it. They are condemned. They are living under condemnation, but we who are in Christ, we're called to live above it. That's, that's not our reality any, anymore because we've received the provision of Jesus Christ. Now, let's look at several things as it relates to us. The errors of condemnation. What are those things that we believe that just aren't simply true? So look at verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. It's the whole idea that now we're living above these things. And we've already looked at that. So he's going back and pulling that back to central, to the front, to show us something. When you as a Christian sins... What really happens? When we as believers, those who have accepted the provision of Jesus Christ, when we sin, what is going on? What is happening? That's where many Christians have no idea what to, 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 to think or feel about that. Because many times we think and feel wrong about it. Let, let me show you a couple of things. First of all, God does not reject you when you sin. He's not rejecting you, okay? And, and I'll show you what I mean in just a moment. Now, the thing we need to understand is this. When we came to Christ, when we came to God through Jesus Christ, here's our association now. We went from being associated to the law and this demands and the, and the finding of it that we were guilty under the law. We're moved in position over here and now we are in Christ. That, that's a big deal. To be in Christ means we will never be rejected by God again. We are fully accepted in him. 
Now, does that mean we can go live like we want to? No, doesn't mean that. I'm going to show you that in just a moment. But here's the reality of it all. We will never, because we are in Christ, be rejected by God again. God doesn't write you off when you sin. He still loves you. He still accepts you even when you sin. Why? Because God's love, you know it, is unconditional. It's agape love. It's not, I love you if you'll do this. It's not, I love, it is, I love you, period. I love you. It's unconditional. God's acceptance of us is not based, and you need to be thankful for this, but God's acceptance of us is not based on our performance. How many of you are glad for that? Has nothing to do with it. The Bible says in Romans 9, it, speaking of salvation, does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on what? God's mercy. That's where you need to be shouting this morning. (laughs) Because it's not based on what you've done. You will never, we've seen this so many times, we never measure up. We, we never will in this body. It's not even possible. God's acceptance of us is not based on our performance. It's based on our position in Christ. That's what Romans 8.1 is all about. Look at what it says again. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, the most popular phrase Paul uses to describe a Christian in all his writings is the phrase, in Christ. It's mentioned, check this out, 167 times in his writings. Would you say he puts a lot of emphasis on that? Oh, most definitely. Now, the best way to describe, the best way to describe what Paul is talking about when he's talking about this whole idea of being in Christ is really Noah's Ark. Have you ever thought about that? Noah's Ark, you go back to the days of Noah and and you look there and you see the ark and and, and you see all that comes with that. It's really the same idea of being in Christ. Now, when Noah and his family were on the ark, that is a picture of salvation, a picture of salvation. I want you to think about that. They are living, listen, under grace because God made a provision for them. You understand it, right? The boat was the provision, same way we look at salvation. It was a provision for him. So they live in under grace, but above what? Condemnation. All those who were destroyed were outside of the ark. Do you know what that's a picture of? Everyone outside of salvation is condemned. All those who drowned in the flood, it was a position, it was a, it was a condemnation. But Noah and his family were safe and secure where? In the ark. In the ark. It's the same idea of being, listen, in Christ. And it had nothing to do with even Noah. Listen, who gave gave Noah the blueprints to even build the ark? God did. God told him exactly what it would take, the way it would be built, how it would be built. And not only that, guess what? God even shut the door of the ark. They couldn't even do that on their own. And yet they were there safe and secure. You see, the phrase in Christ means that we're safe, we're secure, we are without rejection. Next, the heirs of condemnation. God does not get angry at you when you sin. Now, some of you may think by some of these statements that I'm up here, I'm trying to sound like some grace preaching pastor, some prosperity guy or whatever. Listen, I'm just helping you to understand exactly what your salvation means and the context of what Paul is writing here. 
Now, yes, we all come to him through repentance. We, can't, we need to tell people that it's only through repentance that we can receive the provision of Jesus Christ. And repentance should be preached. But those of us who have repented, those of us who are now in Christ, listen, listen, there's a whole different story that's being written than many of the things that we're even thinking. And so God does not get angry at us when we sin. Look at uh, Psalm 103. It says this, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are but what? Dust. In and of ourselves. We have nothing to offer God. You, you realize that, right? The only value that we have is that God sees us as valuable. And he made a provision for us. That's how valuable we are. But we did nothing to bring value to ourselves before God, except for the fact we just received what he provided. And so therefore, when it comes to this whole idea of does God get angry at us when we sin, God, God knows exactly what you are made of. He knows you are a human. He knows uh, what, uh, uh, what you are like. He knows you have human weaknesses. You have frailties. He knows your struggle against sin. He knows you're not perfect. He's a father. He, he may be disappointed, but he has compassion on those who sin. You see, so many times we see God as this father that just doesn't tolerate anything and he comes down and, oh man, he's sitting there waiting to punish us. Did you know that it's not the idea of him punishing us that we find in scripture? It is the idea of his compassion that comes towards us. Now for the unbeliever, this is not their story, but this is the story for the believer. That's what Paul's trying to tell us. When, you begin, when you, our children begin to walk, they stumble you ever seen a child really try to walk and all of a sudden they fall? What do we do? Do we say, what, you can't do this. What's wrong with you? Get up. What do we do? We run over there. We, we pick them back up. We try to help them walk again. We, we encourage them. We, we try to help them. When our teenager gets on our last nerve, you ever been there? And they think they know it all. And they, they're telling, they begin to instruct us. And when we have this whole life experience that we've lived, and they tell us we don't understand. And there's so many times we want to come across as punishing, don't we? But that's not the way our Father comes at us. It's through compassion. It's through mercy. It's through grace. It's the whole idea, listen, not of punishment, but of discipline. And we all need that. And God is the author of discipline. He's not the author of punishment. Those who are condemned, that is the reality in which they see God as punishing. But those who are a believer, those who are in Christ, it's not punishment. It's discipline. Two completely different things. Two completely different things. Next, the errors of condemnation. God does not condemn you when you sin. There's a lot of you who are sitting here this morning and, and the only thing you're feeling in here this morning is condemnation. I've literally talked to people in the past who says that they can't hardly bear to walk into a church because of the condemnation that they feel within them. There's two things that must be going on if, for them to feel that. Number one, they, they are, they're, they're not a believer. They, they don't know Christ and they should feel that condemnation. Or number two, they are a believer and they don't have correct theology. And how God sees them and how God loves them and God wants to bring them along. So here, here's what we need to understand. All of the condemnation, punishment, guilt, 
and shame associated with our sin, check this out, has been taken by Jesus Christ. That's what the cross was all about. It was taken there. So therefore, it was transferred. How many of you are glad it was transferred? It was transferred. Now, the Bible says, literally, that he has made us friends. That, that is what it means to live without condemnation. I want you to look at Hebrews 4 here on the screen. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. That means he is fully aware of our frailties. He's fully aware of our weaknesses when it comes to temptation, when it comes to sin, when it comes to just living this life. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, but yet he was without sin. He was the God man. It was Jesus. Then he says this. Let us then approach the throne of judgment. Is that what it says? No. It says the throne of grace. How many of you are glad that we're not approaching the throne of judgment? That's off the table for those who are believers. That's off the table for those who are in Christ. We don't have to be, we're not coming before a judge to condemn us. We're coming before the throne of what? The throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy. How many of you need mercy? We all need mercy. It's part of the human tragedy is in fact we need mercy and find grace. There it is to help us in time of need. How many of you are so grateful that both words are there? Mercy and grace. That's the relationship we have with our heavenly father. And the only way it was found is in Christ. Noah and the ark. You think they were perfect people living in that boat? Nah. But they did find salvation. They found salvation. There was a provision God made for them. They yielded to the provision. They surrendered themselves to the obedience of Christ. There was a faith that was initiated as a result of that. And they began to build a boat. A boat that would eventually, and it was provided by God himself. And not only that, he's the one that set it afloat. He's the one that shut the door. It was everything he did. And that is a beautiful picture of his grace and his mercy put upon those of Noah and his family. But those who were outside of the boat, those who were outside of salvation, condemnation came to them. Condemnation came to them. It's not for those who are in the boat. It's not for those who are in Christ. It's for those outside the boat, those outside of Christ. Jesus came to earth. He, listen, he experienced the same temptations we do. He, he did. He went through it all. That he could become the perfect sacrifice that we, through his, listen, through his obedience, through his perfection, that we could come and there would be redemption awaiting us, that we could be offered grace and mercy. Now, here's what you need to understand. When you sin, you should not feel condemnation, but you should feel conviction. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There's a big difference between the two. The Bible says in John chapter 16, Jesus has told his disciples, he said, listen, I must go. But when I go, the father's going to send the comforter. He literally meant, if you look at the context, he's going to send you a gift. Okay, that, that's really the picture of what he's talking about. The gift will be the Holy Spirit. His ministry to you is this. The Holy Spirit will convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. 
He's going to come and he's going to lead you and he's going to show you what's right, what's wrong. He's going to show you. He's going to give you the wisdom to make judgments about yourself and about other things. He's going to give you that. So that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict. Conviction is the act of God, listen, making you aware of your sin. Now, you just said sin's off the table. No, sin's on the table when you're sinning, okay? You're, You're called to live above it. You don't have to live in the bondages of sin. You're not going to be held to the condemnation that your sin brings, according to Scripture. But when you're in sin and you're living in sin, God's not going to just say, well, you know, my grace and mercy just covers it all. Here, take it all. No, there's something to that. You know why? Because God wants his best for us. And when we're living in sin, we're not living his purposes. We're not living his best. And he wants that for us, just like any loving father would want. How many of you want your children to grow up to be... Just, just people who just love God, who, who do the right thing, who, who make wise choices and do these things. That's our desire as a parent. God desires out of us. So the, one of the biggest problems for the Christian, listen, is distinguishing the difference between the accusations of the enemy and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. How do you tell the difference between what, uh, when the enemy is accusing you and when the Holy Spirit is convicting you? That is a big deal. I know a lot of Christians, I, well, at least I, they, they seem to represent themselves as Christians, and I see fruit. There's a lot of them who are in Christ who still live under condemnation. And the big part of that is the fact that they don't understand the voice of the enemy accusing them and the voice of the Holy Spirit is convicting them. And here's how you know if it's condemnation. It goes back to the feelings, guilt, Shame, self-rejection, all those things. Conviction's intended to build you up. It's intended to, to bring you out and to stand you up and put you back on a path of growing in Christ and your faith being increased. And so we need to know the difference. So how do you tell the difference between the two? Well, the enemy normally operates in general terms. How many of you have ever noticed that? You're just lousy. I can't even believe you call yourself a Christian. I mean, he goes on and on and on. Now, how do we know that he accuses us? Because the Bible says it does. He does. The accuser of the brethren. You know what that literally means? The accuser of the believer. The accuser of those who are in Christ. He accuses you. His his point is to destroy you any way he can because you wear the name of Christ. And guess what? He, he's very successful in some Christians' lives. I'm just going to be honest with you. I, you can just see it. They just live under this heap. And that's not where they're intended to live. The Holy Spirit, however, will be very specific about a specific sin in your life. And he'll point it out. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? Hey, that, that grudge you've been carrying with such and such, that needs to be dealt with. How many of you have recognized that kind of voice? Hey, that jealousy you just displayed, where, that, where in the world did that come from? You, you need to deal with that. That temptation of lust and all that over there, you, you need to deal with that. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit. The co- accusations come when, when the enemy's just trying to destroy you, to bury you under that load. There's a big difference in the two. I want you to look at the difference between Peter and Judas. Do you remember those disciples in Scripture? Judas responded to condemnation, and what did he do? He went out and hung himself. 
Peter responded to conviction, and he went out and he wept bitterly. How many of you remember his story? But here's what was really cool about it. That conviction led to him being restored. You remember Jesus there in uh, the last parts of the Gospel of John? Jesus approaches Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but if I were Peter and I had rejected Christ, how many of you say that's a pretty big deal? Do you know him? Nope, don't know him. Hey, have you been with him? Nope, don't even know the guy. <laughs> we just say it's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal. And Jesus walks up, resurrected Jesus, says, Peter, do you love me? Now, I don't know about you, but I know how I respond sometimes in my sin. And I'll be honest with you, the last thing I want to do is face the Holy Spirit or face Jesus with my sin. So, so you know how I probably would have saw Jesus come and say, oh, time to take a walk down the beach. <laughs> come back, see himself sitting there. Oh, let me continue to walk. <laughs> but you know what? Peter was there. And Jesus came and he restored him. And you know what he did next? The next thing we see in Peter's life is he's preaching the gospel. And 3,000 people come to know Christ. You know why? Because he didn't get bogged down in the condemnation. He allowed the conviction to be carried out in such a way that he was restored. And as a result, he did mighty things for God. The problem with a lot of you sitting in this room, I'm just going to be honest with you. The problem is many of you have been living under this feeling of condemnation for years. And it's, it's just, you just sit there and you just, and you've been no use for God. You got to walk out from under that. You got you to gotta believe who he says you are. You are in Christ. You're not perfect. Who is? But you need to realize that conviction is the way that God puts you back in, in, a, in, a, in a, the ability to live his purposes and what he desires for you. And that's his best for you. And what father wouldn't want his best for his children? And he says, come on, let's get back in line here. Let's go. All done. This is what's beautiful. In the context of unconditional love, mercy, and grace. And that's the reason he says, let us come to the throne of what? Grace. We're going to meet him there. We're not coming to the throne of judgment. We're coming to the throne of grace. Because there's what waits us that's best for us. Next, the effects of condemnation. I want us to look at verse 3 before we do. The first part of verse 3 says this. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Now think about, did the law really accomplish anything? No, the, law, the only thing the law did was reveal what? Our guilt. That's all it did. It had a purpose, but it didn't really do a whole lot to redeem us. Okay, remember us talking about the two husbands a couple weeks ago? The husband just tells the wife, you go, you know, let's review your day. How did you do? Boom, 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 boom. Oh, you missed something. You remember us talking about that? And then the second husband comes along and he, he comes in and provides a way of, of, of helping her and all that. Well, it's the same thing here. But here's what happened. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. Do you, you know what you could put just before that word sin there? On account of your sin, your sin. This verse tells us the seriousness of our sin and what it costs. So, so it sounds like the beginning of the sermon, it almost sounds like I was glossing over uh, sin and, and oh yeah, everybody does it. But listen, <laughs> you need to understand there's a whole lot more to it. 
sin is costly. And I don't want to ever get the wrong impression about that. So here it is. Our sin, while it is not condemned, it is costly. Number one, it hurts those closest to you. Sin hurts people. When we veer off the path of God's best for our lives, guess what? If we're a father, it affects our children. It affects our wife. If, we, if we're a wife or we're a mother, it affects that. We, uh, it affects everyone around us. When we're not living up to the potential and the purposes of God when we sin. Next, the effects of condemnation. It destroys your joy. Destroys your joy. Every sin, listen, we commit has a harmful effect on our bodies, on our emotions, in our spirit. Everything has a consequence in life, whether good or bad. How many of you have lived long enough to know that? It does. If you do good things, you have, seem to have good consequences. If you do bad things, you're going to have bad consequences. Listen, what you sow, the Bible says, you're what? You're going to reap it. What you sow, you're going to reap. You sow good, you're going to get good. You sow bad, you're going to get bad. So, it's not judgment that comes into our lives. So many times we think when we sin, oh my goodness, here comes God. He's going to get us, bam. It's not God up there saying, I was waiting for you to do it. I was ready to zap you. It's not what God's doing. Most of the judgment we're living under, according to scripture, is just the consequences of our bad choices. It's the consequences of what we've sown. It's just natural. But it destroys our joy. Our sin, while, it's not, while it, it is not condemned, is costly. It breaks fellowship with God. Breaks fellowship with God. Relationship and fellowship. How many of you realize that those are two different things? I can be in relationship with my wife, but out of fellowship. You know what I'm talking about? We went through some of that last week. We took a little trip somewhere, and on the way, we started the whole car trip with wonderful relationship and fellowship. About 10 minutes into it, all we had was relationship. You ever been there? Please help me out. Thank you. <laughs> oh, we got some waving back there. Hallelujah. I'm surprised there's not a white handkerchief. You know, some of the churches, that would be a good place to pull one out anyway. But, but that's what happens. And it happens with our relationship with God sometimes. We're never out of fellowship with God. Do you know that? If we're in Christ, we set the provision of Jesus Christ, and we're in Christ, we have relationship. We may not have fellowship, but we have relationship. You're still a Christian. You're still a child of God. And the fellowship can be broken. Here's the important thing to understand. It is very important we, that we understand the difference between approval and acceptance. Acceptance is not approval. You can accept a person and their lifestyle, even though sinful, without approving of that lifestyle. You can accept them as a person, but you can be disapproving of the lifestyle. You can accept a person without saying, I agree with everything you're doing. Did you know that? Some of you, that's the kind of relationship you're having with your children right now. Your grandchildren right now. And it breaks your heart. It's not where you want it to be. It's not what you think is best. We have a heavenly father that's up there thinking the same things many times of us. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, if we claim to have fellowship, 
with him, yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Basically, it's the whole idea that we're not living in the reality of our salvation. We're not living in the reality of being in Christ. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that means we're walking in the reality that he died for us to have. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, purifies us from every sin. Is that fellowship? That's good fellowship. When there's nothing between me and my spouse, when there's nothing between me and my God, and we're just walking together. How do you know when you're in fellowship with God? You'll have joy, you'll have peace. The joyful Christian, listen, is in harmony with God. Psalm 51 was a psalm David wrote after he committed his sin with Bathsheba. Here's what he prayed out to God. He cried out to God, restoring to me the joy of my salvation. God, give me back the joy I used to experience with you. Give me back the fellowship we once had. Now, he spoke it in terms that there was still a relationship, didn't he? But he was crying out that the fellowship would be restored. And that's what's happening here. And that's what we need to understand. He had not lost the salvation. He had not lost the relationship. He lost his joy. He lost the fellowship that he once had with God. Next, you're saying, while it's not condemned, it's costly. It limits your usefulness to God. God can't use you as effectively. If you're not going to be a productive Christian, if you're not going to be a productive believer, you're not going to be that if you allow sin to pile up in your life. John 15, 4 says this. Jesus said, remain in me. That means stay in fellowship with me and I will in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Dwelling. Communication. If you want to see fruit in your life, you have to be in tune with God. You got to live in harmony. Next, our sin, while it is not condemned, it is costly. It brings discipline from God. Not punishment, discipline. Let me just say this. If all you did was punish your kids when they were growing up, that's not what you were supposed to do. You did this, so I'm going to get you back by doing this. If you had that mentality, that wasn't the right way to go about it. Conviction, however, says this. I care enough about you to confront you with your sin. I care enough about you and your future and all that God has for you by bringing correction to your life right here. To tell you the error of your ways. To point out where you went wrong. And, and I... I my kids got spankings. Ask them. Write a correction. It's what the Bible calls it. I didn't beat them with a stick or anything, but my mama did. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But anyway, <laughs> uh, listen, listen to this. Um, think about what happens. When I was a kid, my parents, when there was trouble, did not spank the kids down the street. When there was trouble and I was involved, guess who they spanked? They came to me. They dealt with me directly. They had no business spanking the kids down the street. Okay? Came to me. So when we start thinking about God and what he's up to and whether he's fair, whether he's not, and we start looking at how he deals with the kids down the street. No, no, no. God would say, quit looking at the kids down the street. You might want to stay away from them, by the way, but you look at where you are. There's a good chance the kids down the street are not in Christ. 
Good chance there's kids down the street are not in relationship with God. But I'm going to deal with you one-on-one. I remember being in high school. And I remember seeing all the kids and hearing about all the things that they would do. And they would go out and they would party. I mean, there were some guys behind me. I know this will blow your mind that were snorting speed behind me in, in, this, in the classroom. English class. I remember it very well. They rolled up. Oh, I'm not going to tell you how they did. I might give you an idea. But anyway, <laughs> right there in the classroom. And I'm sitting there like, anybody going to do anything about this? <laughs> I go out. And I messed up a lot. But it seems like every time... <laughs> I went sideways in my relationship with God. He cared enough to say, no, not my child. We're going to deal with it like this. I couldn't worry about the kid snorting speed behind me in the classroom. I had to worry about what he was doing with me and what he wanted to do in and through my life. And guess what? He brought discipline to my life. Some of the decisions I made back in high school were not good decisions. And there were consequences that I had to live through, that if you told me I had to go back and live through those consequences again, I'm not sure I'd ever want to. Matter of fact, I know I don't want to. I don't know if I could hold up under it. But it wasn't God with his thumb on me saying, does it hurt yet? No, it was God saying, this is just a natural way of consequences. What you sow, you're going to reap. And guess what? You know something? He was there with me the whole way guided me even though I was dealing with the consequences in my life. You know why? Because I, I, I turned away from those things and I turned to him. So many times we think God is just up there. Yeah, do it. I dare you. He's not. He loves us. He wants to reach out to us. <clears throat> Listen to this. One of the ways you know you're a Christian is when you start getting off track and God corrects you. You ever been there? Listen to this statement. In fact, if you see somebody who claims to be a believer and they are living in blatant, obvious sin and you see no correction, no discipline, no action of God in their life, you should question whether that person is even a believer or not. One of the things that proves you're a Christian is that you, can't, you, is that you cannot sin and get away with it. Listen, when I sin... I'm miserable. I'm miserable to live with. I'm miserable. And that's a sign. The purpose, listen, the purpose of punishment is to pay back for a wrong. The purpose of discipline is to correct and promote growth. The focus of punishment is past. You're going to pay for what you have done. The focus of discipline is on the future. Here is how you're going to change in the future. This is what I have for you. Instead of this, I have this. Discipline is to help you change, to help you with future correction, in, with the future, with correction coming to your life. Lastly, our sin, while it's not condemned, it co it's costly. It causes us to forfeit or forfeits rewards in heaven. And I don't have time to get in all that. But do you realize we can earn rewards here in this life? And we can also sabotage those rewards in this life. Next, the existence above condemnation. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 3. For what the law could not do, though it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on the account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, how do you live above condemnation? Real quick, number one, realize your sin has been paid. 
Your sin has been paid. If you feel you live under the cloud of condemnation with its emotions of guilt, shame, and fear, you, you know what I tell people? You need to start memorizing scripture that tells you who you are in Christ. And anytime the enemy brings us accusations, you say, uh-uh, here's what the Bible says I am in Christ. Many of us are believing lies about who God is and who we are. We need to get the proper perspective. Next, how do, we, how do you live above condemnation? Confess your sin. Listen to, listen to a promise. This is a promise in Scripture. 1 John 1, 9, you know it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and pure us from all unrighteousness. It's not just a sin that he'll purify us from. He'll, he'll purify. He'll bring back the joy. He'll bring back the peace. Confession does not mean begging God. God, please forgive me. God wants to forgive you. Confession does not mean bargaining. God, if you forgive me on this, I'll never do it again. He's standing there waiting. How many of you loved it when your kids came to the realization that they were wrong and you didn't have to force them there? They came to you and said, Mom, I just got to tell you, Dad, I got to tell you, I was wrong when I did this. I'm asking for your forgiveness. How many of you are like, get out of the room? What does it make you want to do? Just say, you're right where you need to be. You're right where you need to be. And that's what God wants to do. Confession does not take care of the future. It simply gets you back into fellowship in the present. Next, how do you live above, above condemnation? Accept forgiveness and forgive yourself. The problem is we have a hard time doing this. We confess the sin, we do everything we know to do, but then we have to accept the forgiveness. There's people in this room who have never accepted the forgiveness of God in your life. And here's, I just don't feel like I'm worthy. Listen, and I hate to, listen, I'm not beating up parents when I say this. I made a lot of mistakes as a parent. I really did. But here's one thing I, here's one thing I hope I didn't instill in my kids, that every time they went wrong, that I was ready to sit there and just really go after them when they went wrong. And to condemn them in their sin and do that. I hope I never even gave them the resemblance of that. That's some of the most destructive things you can do to a human being. Because then it's hard for them to navigate about how God loves them and how they correspond with them. It's just really tough. But we got to accept it. forgiveness. You're not living under, you're living under the grace. Listen to this. <laughs> this is a great statement. For God to reject you. He would have to reject Christ because you are in Christ. Think about that. You see how great it is to live under grace? If God rejected me, I, I accepted the provision of Jesus Christ. I've been placed. My position is in Christ. For him now to reject me is to reject his own son. And let me just tell you this based on the authority of Scripture. He's not going to reject his own son. Lastly, application. Many Christians understand how God responds to them when they sin. Many Christians misunderstand how God responds to them when they sin. As a result, they avoid God because of their guilt, shame, and fear, finding it hard to feel close to him. And the question is this, what is keeping you from accepting and experiencing his grace and his forgiveness? What is keeping you? Is it the message your parents sent you time and time again every time you messed up and you can't see past that? Guess what? It's time to see past that. Get into the word. 
Know what God has provided for you through Jesus Christ. Know who you are now that you're in Christ. Let me tell you some of the best ways to do that. You may say, well, it's hard to navigate through the Bible. Listen, some of these Bible studies that are going on in this church right now can transform your life. I'm a result of two major Bible uh, uh, studies that happened to me about 15, 20 years ago that literally transformed my life. And it wasn't just a Bible study written by someone. It was God's word. And someone pointed it out and said, here's what God's word says. Go with that. A message like this morning, listen, if you apply it to your life, will transform your life. Conclusion, our spiritual position in Christ. We are living under grace. It's good. Here's the next part of the reality. We live above sin. No longer have to go the way of sin. No longer have to be in the bondage of sin. We're living above the law. We don't have to. Yeah, there's guilt. It was there to put to show us where we failed him. But guess what? We're still living under grace. Hey, there's a living above our flesh. Yes, we're going to mess up. We're going to go out there. Paul said, I did that. I had the wrong motivations. I did the wrong thing. Not all, not all the time. And, and then last of all, living above condemnation. Here's the reality of it. Here it is right here. Are you living in this reality? And then lastly... Are you living in the boat? Are you living in the boat? If you take anything from this sermon this morning, I want you to think about Noah and the family. God provided salvation in that boat. They were in that boat. They were safe. They were secure. Guess what? There were still stinking animals in there. There was poop everywhere. <laughs> it's, it stunk at times. Guess what? There were storms outside beating the side of it. And I'm sure fear crept into their heart at times. So guess what? They were safe. They were in the boat. And guess what? We live in a stinking world that brings a lot of storms. But we can be in the boat. We can be in the boat of salvation that's been provided. Would you stand with me? Father, we just come to you right now. We just thank you so much for the provision that we find in Christ. And Father, I pray if there's someone here today that, that's never accepted that provision of Jesus Christ, they've never come to him and repented of their sins and turned away from their sin and said, I want something that Christ offers. I want what God has provided through Jesus. And maybe today, Lord, they will come and they'll receive that gift that you have for them. But Father, if there's a Christian here, and Lord, I look over this room and I could almost see the connections that were being made during this sermon. And, and I see some of the faces of those that are here today. And I, I believe they're still living under condemnation nation. Father, if they're in you, they don't have to live there anymore. Father, help them to realize what you provided through your son. And Lord, whatever's keeping them from forgiving themselves and believing that you've forgiven them, Lord, I just pray that you would just reveal that to them, that they can turn and that they can have this beautiful awakening and this beautiful transformation that takes place in their life where they can walk out from under the condemnation, and live above the condemnation, realizing who they are in you. Father, give them that today. And Father, if this is a church home you've called someone to be a part of as we all try to get in the boat. Yeah, it stinks around here sometimes, and yeah, there's storms out there, but we're in the boat. We're in the boat. We're in salvation. We're in Christ. Help us, Lord, to to navigate where you desire us to be as a, as a group of people that you've called together to be the body of Christ. Father, we thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen.